0: It is so good to see you. If you have a copy of God's Word, join me in First Timothy chapter 3. If you're here and relatively new and not even exactly sure where that is, we will be putting the verses up on the screen momentarily, so no worries. And if you're watching from home, my name's Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. I have the honor of preaching God's Word to you today. We have been in a series entitled Called to Be Family. We've been spending our summer months talking about the identity, the purpose, the mission of the local church. Why is it important to be part of a local church? What is your role as an individual in in terms of being part of a local church? And so it's within that environment, that subject matter, that we're going to take a deep dive here for about the next three weeks or so, uh, something that's really going to be introspective for a guy like me. I don't know if you've ever felt like you were preaching to yourself, but that's exactly what I'm going to be doing over the course of the next three weeks. And I got to tell you, I hate being put in that position. I don't even like being around people who remind me of things that I preach. How about you? Yeah, you do that. In fact, my wife and I just went away this weekend. We were on the road yesterday, headed from point A to point B. The details aren't even important. What is important was it was one of those Saturdays when every light was red. You ever been there? Oh, my gosh. It felt like I took three times as long to get there. Now, I did nothing that externally compromised my testimony or hurt, the, or hurt the witness of Covenant Church. I wasn't driving aggressively, but I think, I, would, I think my wife would, if she were standing up here, would say what I was doing could adequately be described as mumbling and complaining and griping about the traffic and why are this many people on the road on Saturday? Don't they have something better to do? And she started talking about how we never know and we may not know until we get to heaven what that red light might have spared us from. Oh, hush. (laughs) Because what I said to her was, oh, there you go, there you go, on and on about God's benevolent sovereignty. And she looked at me and smiled and said, well, I've got a good pastor, he teaches me these things. That was her really respectful way of saying, "Why don't you take some of that lofty stuff and apply that mess in the cab of this truck right now, Bucko?" Right? You ever had somebody bring up something you've said, a lesson you've taught? This today's message is the epitome of that. It's very and by necessity introspective for a guy like me, but it's also incredibly important for you because whether we get this right will make the difference in terms of whether a family of faith will flourish or fail it will and if you don't believe me just take a look at so much of the shrapnel that has been left behind in the just over the last 4 years just the the cover that's been pulled off of abuse scandals, the cover that has been pulled off of character issues at at some of the highest levels of some of the most notable denominations in North America, including the one that, that we freely affiliate with. And you see the number of men who simply refuse to finish well, who want to make it all about themselves and not about the kingdom of God. And then you see the destruction that is left behind, by the church and you start to see the danger involved this is a very precarious point of what it means to be a local church but now here's here's the glorious side of this it is an absolute joy when we get this right when we get it right this is the difference again between failure and flourishing so by way of introduction, let's just do a little refresher here on the definition of the local church. This is a definition we've pieced together for this series explicitly, uh, and, and it's based on a number of, of New Testament texts that help us to understand what the local church is. And I'm going to bold here the, the section that we're looking at today. The local church is an identifiable community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedient to scripture, they gather regularly, and here's the phrase we're going to spend the next three weeks on, under the authority of qualified leadership. So two questions here. How do we define leader? How does does God's word define leader? And what do we mean exactly by qualified? What what does the text teach us around that? Now, the emotion behind those questions tends to amplify in Western contexts, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, My wife and I just spent two days in the Charlottesville area. Uh, Part of what we did was we went to Monticello. It's it's Italian for Little Mountain. It's the home place of our third president, Thomas Jefferson. And one of the things that we were reminded of there, things that we know, Jefferson gave us loads of this as we toured those grounds and and looked at that house that, that everyone should be born free. And I know what some of you are thinking, boy, he should have practiced a little bit of that. Yeah, he should have. He should have. But nonetheless, the ideals that were there, those things kind of drive us, and and you see it in this document that some of you are probably going to be somewhat familiar with that actually launched the culture that you and I now inhabit. It says, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, in fact, it is their duty. To throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. That's from our Declaration of Independence And by the way, that wasn't a new idea It goes all the way back to Rome and even before then these ideas and Simultaneous with what was happening on this continent a continent away in Europe the French were starting their own rebellion It was for the French philosopher Diderot who eloquently stated man will never be free until the last king is strangled with the entrails of the last priest That's a nice thought for Sunday morning, isn't it? Here's what you need to understand. You and I are the legatees of a 300-year history of being suspicious of authority. So when we look at a passage like Hebrews 13, verse 17, our tendency is to just react to it as if, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? What does this mean? Now, was that authority abusive 300 years ago? I happen to believe it was. But that history causes us to struggle when we're balancing the the rightful desire not to be abused, not to be ruled and abused by by tyranny with this necessity for appropriate leadership because a fallen world needs government. It does. Defund the police, abolish the police. Have you met you? We need government. Anarchy is the only other option for fallen people and but but here's the thing within the church This is also well. We're redeemed. Yes, we are but We're also still being sanctified and we ain't there yet And so leadership is needed in this over the next couple of weeks We're gonna have to struggle with cultural Predispositions like those when we read a passage like this one obey your leaders and submit to them within the body of Christ For the church to execute its mission it has to be rightly ordered it cannot be rightly ordered if it is not well led and it cannot be well led if the body is not willingly submissive to that leadership and so the question is what what does that big picture look like it's going to take me three weeks to unpack that so so here's where we're going okay and you want to be here for the next three weeks today we're going to talk about the character of those leaders because how can you submit to someone who has bad character, right? This is where the New Testament starts. When you're picking these leaders, these are the things you look for. Scripture says much about this, and that's where we're gonna spend the bulk of our time today. Then next week, we're gonna talk about what is the function of these leaders what exactly are pastors specifically and there are other offices deacons we have deacons here we have ministerial staff that do other kinds of things but specifically what is the role of the pastor what is his function what is he supposed to be doing by what standards should we be judging whether or not he's doing what god has called him to do for the benefit of the body that that standard is not your opinion and it's not mine God has set that for us in the text of Scripture. So, what is our job? So, next week we go to 1 Peter five to discover what that is, as along with a, a few other places. God's Word is going to give us clarity on that. And then in week three, we're going to come back full circle to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them. What does that mean? What does that not mean? Okay. So that's that's a big picture here. So. To begin, I think it's important for you to know, especially if you're new to the family. We got a lot of folks in our 20 plus people gonna be in our discover class today. I'm so excited to, to meet you, get to know you better, tell you about who we are and where we're headed and where I see God taking us as a as a faith family. But one of the things you should know in terms of the way we're governed is that covenant chooses its own leaders under the inspiration. Of the Holy Spirit, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's another way of saying the congregation as a whole chooses to whom she will admit. We have relational connections with Baptists, we have relational connections with Glocalnet, but when it comes to who tells us what to do, the answer is Jesus okay? There's no denominational authority above us. There's no hierarchy, even those places where we freely affiliate. If they tell us that we need to do something to remain affiliated with them and we search the scriptures and we determine under the leadership of the Holy Spirit that we can't do A, we got to do B, we get to tell those people, bye, right? That, that's, that's a properly governed church. That's what we believe. But the, on the same In the same breath I have to say, that doesn't mean we're a democracy. Democracy is when the people speak about their own desires and we find consensus there. Congregationalism has nothing to do with your desire or mine It has to do with following the leading of the Holy Spirit and what is King Jesus? Speaking to our spirits and telling us to do and we don't think it's healthy for one guy or even nine for that matter To be standing up and saying that all the time the body needs to speak to itself And this is how we come to the understanding of what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do. Because Jesus owns the church, you choose who your leaders are going to be, and Jesus has given you and me the criteria right here in verse 1. Don't you love that? That we don't have to wonder. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, therefore... And everything that comes after that is when you're examining someone for this office and function, these are the things that you need to look for. And the particular word Paul uses here, as you've already seen, is the word overseer. If you have an older translation, it it may have mistranslated this bishop. Um, there's actually no such office. That's something we'll get to later next week. What we're going to see Peter do is use this word interchangeably with two others, the word poimen, which means shepherd, someone who guides the sheep That, that was appropriated to church office to describe what we'd call a pastor. Someone who's watching over, someone who is caring for the body. So alongside overseer, there's pastor, then there's elder, this other word that Peter is going to use. That describes someone with the spiritual maturity commensurate with the leadership capacity. And so when you take all of those together, overseer, reference to spiritual authority. You take the word elder, that's a reference to to spiritual maturity. You take the word shepherd, pastor, that's a reference to the responsibility, the office. What am I going to answer to God for, actually, when I stand before his throne? Here at Covenant, we believe those individuals, all those terms are interchangeable, and they describe exactly the same office. The one that we describe here is pastor Elder, And I want to show you as well, even before we get to the text, this office has a history behind it. We didn't just make this up. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament. And so if, you, if you're careful in your reading of what we call the Old Testament, you'll see this term elder mentioned 130 times in the Old Testament alone. It was used to describe leaders in Israel and Egypt and Midian and Moab and Gibeon. So it didn't even really apply only to God's people. It applied to people who led tribes and people who led other groups of people. And then you get to the New Testament, this office starts to continue. And the Jews will use it in the synagogue. And so by the time we get to the time of the New Testament, synagogues had roughly 400 years to emerge. And there are three primary offices in that synagogue. There's the priest who has a ministry of intercession and mediation everything from making sacrifices to helping God's people reconcile with each other then you have the scribes who are the experts in the law because if the Old Testament was true back then when it said the the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul if if the law of the Lord is something we should delight in hard to delight in something you don't know and so it was the responsibility of the scribes to make the personal application of those things and then the third office was the office of elder and elders were just simply those who helped with the practical day-to-day leadership, and these people were among the laity. So those two offices, you might have even called them clergy back then, and then the elders were actually, this may surprise some of you, they were among the laity. They, They were among God's people helping them with those practical matters. Then came the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which we believe fulfilled all of the law and the prophets. Well, if it fulfilled all the law and the prophets, then there are two offices of these three that are now obsolete. The priesthood, according to Hebrews 8, is gone. There is one high priest and only one, the man Christ Jesus, one mediator between God and man. Also, the old covenant itself was a shadow, Hebrews 8, verses 4 to 6. So there's no longer a need to apply the particular commands of the law To life so both the priest and the scribe goes away and the office that remains as the church catapults forward into the time of the New Testament we see this recorded in Acts was the office of elder pastor once again lay people among the rest of the people who simply had responsibility of leadership and oversight of the direction and the spiritual condition of the congregation and so although everything in the local church started on the foundation of the Apostles As the original apostles begin to die, you can see this pattern throughout the book of Acts. You look at this history and you see it. You see early, like for example in chapter 4, verse 35, and in chapter 5, verse 18, and if you're scrambling to take notes, don't worry. The PowerPoint will be there with the sermon, on the website, on the podcast. Just hang with me, okay? I know there's a lot of information here. Uh, the, you see the apostles being referred to as those who are planting the churches and then basically shepherding the churches and lead them. Then as you get further into Acts, you start to see apostles and elders. That phrase used over and over again. 15.4, 15.6, 15 verse 22. And then toward the end of Acts, as the apostles begin to die off, the elders remain as the leaders of local churches. Chapter 20, chapter 21. And so 2,000 years later, here we are. The local church led by qualified leadership. What does it mean to be qualified? Well, first and foremost, qualified refers to a person's character. So let's talk a little bit about what that means. There are four primary character traits here in in 1 Timothy 3. I've categorized them for you, and so let's look at them together, starting with this. Elders are disciplined men. They are disciplined men. Verse 2, sober-minded self-controlled huh okay it's like in the cab of my truck so yeah yeah that's exactly what that means verse 3 not a drunkard not violent but gentle not quarrelsome somebody's always got to be in a fight with somebody not a lover of money Verse 7, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So here's the big idea. By the power of God's Spirit, a pastor elder must be someone whose life is under control, disciplined in the area of temperament, prayer life, Bible intake, walk with the Lord. Perfect? No. Going to lose it sometimes? Probably. What does it mean? It means the general pattern of that individual's life is one of Discipline when you come to them, you can come to them and expect they're not going to pop off at you. now, if you nag, we might, and then we might have to repent right but but if you come to us, I just said not perfect right but but here's again big idea primary function of someone in this role is to facilitate the making of disciples whose minds and hearts are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That task is impossible if the man seeking to do it is a hothead, a glutton, or a pervert. That makes sense? You can't do it. You simply cannot do it. And if you don't believe me and you don't believe God's Word, take a look at what's happened to Western evangelicalism in the last four years. This crap happens in Spades guys that can't keep their pants on, guys that can't keep their hands out of the offering plate, guys that can't deal with the the power level that comes from this kind of thing. We see the sex abuse and its subsequent cover-up. We see all kinds of things coming out of the fact that we looked at pizzazz and we looked at talent and we looked at how many books they sold and how eloquent they were and we substituted that for the power of the Holy Spirit and what happened as a result was woefully unqualified men leading God's church. So this is step number one discipline discipline so here's a question you ask yourself okay is your temper under control in moments of high stress when the pressure is on do you run to Jesus or the liquor bottle now, let me change that just to make sure I hit everybody do you run to Jesus or the carton of ice cream in the freezer maybe that one applies to more people right? Elders are disciplined men. Elders, number two, are family men. Verse two, the husband of one wife. Wait a minute. Does that mean he can't be divorced? A A lot of positions on that. We do not believe that's what it means, okay? Well, does that, well, okay, so it means he just couldn't be a polygamist. Well, a polygamist wouldn't have been allowed to be a member of the church in the first century. So, no, that's not exactly what it means either. The text literally says one woman, man. And so in the present tense, you want to ask, okay? So here's the thing. I I grew up in the tradition where divorced men were not allowed to do that because it says a husband of one wife. Well, he's not exactly the husband of one wife. He may have never been divorced, but he flirts with his secretary and his wife feels like she's been pushed down. Here's what I want to know. Does your wife feel like she gets all of your body, all of your mind, All of your money all of your resources you are focused exclusively on her flourishing as your sister in Christ you are devoted singularly to her and is that happening in the present tense because I don't care about yesterday you know why I don't care about yesterday because God don't care about yesterday God cares about faithfulness today the husband of one wife verse 5 he must manage his own household well with all dignity Keeping his children, and this is the word for small children, okay? you got to remember in the first century, by the time you were 13, you were considered an adult. So if you got a snarky teenager at home, that well, that's called normal, right? That doesn't mean that you're unqualified for ministry. But if you've got a six-year-old that you can't control, right? This is what he's going to Keep your children submissive. For, here's the reason... And then comes this rhetorical question. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Okay. Now, the question I get sometimes is, does this mean a single man can't serve? And I have to ultimately answer that question in this way. If that's true, then neither Jesus nor Paul would have been qualified. So I have to consider that. But that also doesn't mean we should be flippant about what this says because the explicit teaching, guys, of this rhetorical question is if you can't control your little flock at home, you are in no way qualified to care for God's big flock. I've said before, and I will continue saying here, part of our vision here at Covenant is for every father to effectively shepherd his family. In fact, it would not offend me at all to ask one of the small children in our covenant kids, who's your pastor, and have them go my daddy instead of me. In fact, it would tell me I did my job. And then maybe after that, well, who's your daddy's pastor? Well, then that would be you, right? I, that's that's part of our goal here, because if you're obviously effective in that role, you're somebody we need to look at more closely for the role that's being described here. Again, but if your kids are out of control, if your spouse. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble here if she can't keep her mouth shut. Y'all still love me? Yeah. I'm telling you. There's some, it, keep your family guided by the Holy Spirit, okay? But it, it doesn't matter, conversely, how skilled or how eloquent you are. If your wife... Feels and I would tell you when when we interview guys we get deep. I mean we get in your underwear drawer That's none of your business. It is if you're gonna be a pastor here It is you want to know first question I was asked Before I was approved to be placed in front of you as a candidate for the lead pastor here One of the first questions when I met those guys face-to-face tell us I mean and it, it came like like a really quick bolt of lightning Pastor, we love you. This is going to be a little bit of a difficult question, but we need you to be very honest with us and very descriptive with us about the last time you looked at porn. You think that's out of line? You want somebody addicted to porn standing up here? Right? Yeah, we, we look. And you know what else we do? We interview your spouse. And if she feels put down by you, if she feels like she can't flourish spiritually under your leadership, if your kids don't respect you, if they find you to be inconsistent, if you can't be pastor to your own family, that this really isn't for you. That's not a judgment call. We're not trying to tell you you don't have a place in the body. We are saying this is too important a role to allow damage to happen to the people of God by putting unqualified men in this role. I once consulted with a a church that was just plagued with, well, I had a lot of problems, but one of them was just a, a host of broken marriages. And as I dug deeper, I discovered an unusually high amount of marital discord among the staff. One staff member told me that she and her husband hated each other. But for the kids... For the grandkids, for the well-being of our estate plan, for a number of other reasons, we're going to tolerate each other. Eventually, whatever is embodied, not preached about, embodied here, will be replicated there. I told you I was preaching to myself. So we take a good long look. We don't always get it right. And again, we're not aiming for perfection here. Otherwise, nobody gets to do this. But what, is the marker, what are the markers of an individual's life? How he leads his family will be exactly how he leads the church. So a disciplined man a family man. Thirdly, elders are sociable men. Verse 2 says respectable and hospitable. Verse 7 says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. I'll make this really simple. People have to like you. They have to like you. We have put a lot of emphasis on seminary education. I'm a seminary professor. I'm not opposed to that. I think the more training you get, the better. But the issue is there, there's a lot of PhDs out there that are dumb as a rock, there's a lot of master of divinity holders that just aren't people persons. they may have all their doctrinal ducks in a row. I mean they can tell you the difference between superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism, but they can't have a discussion about the weather without it getting weird. You ever met people like that? They're just weird. I've met other pastors like that. I gotta go speak at a conference on Tuesday in Nashville on tech and social media and polarization and the role of faith leaders and all of that. I'm really looking forward to it for several reasons, but I gotta be honest with you, there's probably, I don't know, there may be two 300 pastors in the room. And I know, because I am a pastor, I've been one for decades, I've met a lot of them. A lot of them are weird. And I don't like being around weird people. Am I giving you too much information? I just, I, it's just weird. Total jerk to his neighbors. Can't just sit down without having to talk about. It. I love theology. My staff roll their eyes when I geek out. I love it. But there's a time and a place. Bible college freshmen engages me. Many years ago, found out I was a pastor. We were a guest along with him in somebody else's home and it was Super Bowl night. What do you think I want to talk about? Calvinism or the Steelers? Dude, I'm trying to watch the game. You got a problem? Is there something pastorally that's an emergency here? Well, no, I just want to then hush. It's first and ten inside the red zone. What are you, nuts? Right? You've got to you got to think about these things. I just, I just want to watch the game. Here's, people have to like you. They may never agree with you. I'm on the panel with a Jewish rabbi. A dear friend of mine has been a guest in this room about some things that he and I have very, very deep differences about on Wednesday. And you can pray for us both because here's the thing. We love each other. And that's what we're after in a pastor. Man, I I find it hard not to hate everything that guy stands for, but I can't help but like him. And I can tell when he walks away that he loves me. Uh, How how does this work? Sociable man. Here's the last one. Elders are Bible men. Verse 2 says, able to teach. Now, sometimes that's in a format like what you're experiencing now. But it's a lot more than this, because I've told you, right, you come get this, you need to come get this every week, but this really isn't enough. It's just not. You need to be in a small group. You you need to be in... Classes We got a whole litany of fall classes lined up. We'll be, just, just keep watch on the website. Keep watch on our social media feeds. We're gonna be sending that to you probably in the next couple of weeks. Here's all your opportunities. A lot of them on Wednesday night. So if you've got teens, you come and drop them off here with Pastor Chris. You come upstairs. You can be with me on a class called Discipleship Essentials. You can go with Scott Anderson, one of our deacons, who's gonna be teaching this amazing course on Bonhoeffer's view of the church called Life Together. It's gonna to tie in so well with this particular series. There's a lot of options like that. And and so pastors simply need to be able to take God's word and apply it. Now, there are nine of us here between the staff and the non-staff. There are some of those men who will never stand up here, and that's okay. You know why? Because they're better than me in a small group setting, and they're better than me in a one-on-one setting with an open Bible, counseling people. I'm not saying I'm no good at it. I'm just saying there are other guys who are among our pastors here, who are better than me. And that's okay. Sometimes it's preaching, sometimes it's teaching, sometimes it's counseling, but the idea here is that there would be an intimate enough knowledge of the scripture and an understanding of how it all fits together and points people to Jesus. Elders are disciplined, they are family, they are sociable, they are Bible men, which brings me to a question that has often gotten me into trouble. Does he have to be a man? So let me give you the short answer to that question as we understand it at Covenant. I'm just going to tell you that not everybody sees it this way. And the people that see it differently from us, this issue, I'm not talking about other stuff that may have influenced the issue, I'm talking about this issue in particular, those churches and those people are not my enemy. Many of them are my brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is not something that we consider an issue of orthodoxy, but when we're talking about leadership, we want to seek as best we can to to be obedient to the whole of Scripture, which has brought us to this conclusion. Do elders and pastors have to be men? The answer is yes. Yes. Now, before you get up and walk out, before you text your friend and go, man, I had no idea Ron Burgundy was the pastor, right? Just hear me out. We are not hierarchical. What does that mean? That that means we have no belief in the essential inequality of male and female. God created us equal. Male and female. He created them. We don't see this carrying itself out in the whole of society. My wife does not walk five steps behind me. And some of you would probably have a lot of fun watching her reaction if I insisted that she should. This is not what we mean, all right? And again, other churches may not always, they're not less Christian. Here at Covenant, we believe that office is limited to men. Now, I could talk for a couple of hours as to why that is, but let me do something else instead, because I imagine most of you are like, well, I may agree, I may disagree, I have some questions, but I'm, I'm going to be hungry in an hour, and I don't want Pastor Joel taking two to explain. It. I don't, I don't want to know that much about it, right? That's fine. So let me give you just some th- some three primary reasons why we believe that. It's a lot deeper than just what I'm going to give you. But then let me make this offer to respond to your emails. Please be nice. Um, and they come directly to me. They don't go through an admin or anything. To visit your small group, to take you to dinner, on us, anytime. If you have questions, you want to follow that up. Some of you came out of, a, out of another church tradition where this was not the belief, and you went, well, okay, well... Am I going to be okay with this? You are owed our absolute honesty here. So let me, let me give you three reasons. Number one, the leadership pattern in the church, as it's described in the New Testament, mirrors, and you see that here in 1 Timothy 3 more than anything else, this, this absolute requirement that a person lead their home well. And then when you look at the leadership of the home, God has established the same pattern in the home, not in society, not in society, we, we may have a woman president one day. That's completely fine. A police officer may pull you over for speeding on your way home, and if she's female, yes, ma'am, is your answer. Okay, But in the home and in the church, men are the, and this is the biblical language, head. Now, here's where we get confused. We take those words and we take those concepts with only the history of about the last 50 or 60 years in North America to inform us, and we end up with this wholly perverted, hierarchical, misogynistic view of what headship is. The word for head here guys is not even primarily related to authority. It's primarily it primarily means this. The head, think of the headwaters of a river, it is the source from which flows benefit to everything else downstream. Everybody got that picture? Am I the head of my home? Yes. Does that mean I'm a drill sergeant? No. Does that mean my way or the highway every single time? No. Does that mean I never consult my wife? I always. In fact, that truck we rode to Charlottesville in, I got hot after that thing about five years ago, and I bought it, and I came back, and very humbly, not disrespectful at all, she just looked at me, and she goes, I thought we were, like, supposed to, like, like, If you're going to buy a television, if you're going to buy a new fishing rod, if you're going to buy a new hunting rifle, okay, that's a car. Like, shouldn't we talk about this? She was right. She was absolutely right. So what does head mean? It means source from which everything downstream benefits. That's my calling in my home. That's my calling and whether or not I've done that has very little to do with the perceived authority that my wife and children think I have and rather the perceived flourishing that takes place among my wife and my children. Same thing with regard to a pastor. Does that mean there's no authority? That's not what that means, but it does mean the aim here is the source so the leadership pattern in the church should match that of the home, and that's what we're talking about. Number two, this pattern best frees women to fulfill their God-given functions in the body. First Timothy 2.11, Paul says to women, you should receive instruction. And I can hear all the 21st century ladies going, oh, how nice of him, right? But you got to understand, he wrote those words in a cultural moment that did not even value a woman's testimony in court. What does that tell you about how radically countercultural the gospel was to that patriarchal context? Paul wanted, and we want, seasoned, mature, biblically literate, theologically inclined, Christ-centered women, and we want them to lead here, and we want them to do it in areas where, in some places, only women can lead. I've talked to a couple of them that really just tried to, urge you just need to go on to, Seminary work on your master of divinity and I haven't talked them into it yet. Maybe maybe it's coming Why is that? What do you mean in areas where only they can lead? Well without you know, and let's keep it PG for the moment, but there are some Very involved situations here in the church that I have Absolutely, no business getting into the weeds on cuz I'm a dude. Is that clear enough? Right does that, that make sense? We can't do that without our sisters in Christ. We can't do it. Well, wait a minute. Everybody in that room is a man when the pastor, yeah, but there's something wrong if that door is not open for any of our sisters in Christ to step in and to speak wisdom that we don't otherwise have into that context so that we can continue to be the source from which everything downstream benefits. That's the calling. And if women have a burden put on them that God did not intend for them, that's why we believe this here. Number three, this pattern places the ultimate responsibility for the success of the church where it should be, on men. Head, source. What does that mean? It means my primary responsibility is to keep the source waters clean, keep myself holy, keep myself sanctified, right? So let me quote a, a passage to you that doesn't sound culturally appropriate at all. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning of verse 12 Paul said this as well, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. Now, those two, I will just tell you, taken together, what they're talking about is a particular kind of teaching and authority that belongs to the pastoral office. That's what I believe that is. I don't think that's a blanket uh, prohibition. I don't think that means a woman can never instruct. I mean, good grief, women have stood up here during this time. They have preached the gospel, and I believe they've done so faithfully. So obviously, I don't think it means that. But, but he gives his reason here. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Whoa. Is he selling out? Like, he just throw the woman under the bus here? Remember the context. What, what's happening in, in, that, in that fall narrative? First thing Satan does is he bypasses the source, the head, and he goes right to the woman. But here's the kicker. We get this... We have this mythical picture as if Adam was off picking berries or something. He is right, That read the text more closely. He is right there. He watched the enemy do it. He watched the enemy tempt his wife. He watched his wife willingly give in. And he did, this isn't hard, nothing. The perennial sin of men doing nothing that's what he did so who was the first person to actually disobey God in action it was the woman but go back and read the story again God comes down in the cool of the day gentlemen who does he call for Adam do we believe in male headship yes unapologetically, scriptures teach it. But brothers, listen to me, and I hope this will be an encouragement, not a discouragement to you, but it is a challenge either way you take it. Headship, according to God's word, does not sound like, honey, I'm home, what's for dinner? Headship sounds like, Adam, where are you and what have you done? Adam, you are responsible. Adam, you are to be the source from which everything downstream of you prospered. This is what God is calling men To do in general and when men meet those qualifications God says you know what you might be a pastor you might be a pastor so what does that mean because I know there's still some questions and I I know I, I just don't have time to cover them all but let me go ahead and give in brief in brief do women teach here yes do women preach Sometimes from a pulpit that Joel has been given charge over by the other elders. Yes. Do women serve as deacons? Yes. Small group leaders? Yes. Missionaries? Yes. Staff members that supervise and coordinate and keep the rest of us honest. I don't know what in the world I'd do around here without Charity Ratchford. Yes. And I'm, ex- and I'm open to explain further. Like I say, you don't have, you, you don't have to agree. I just we owe you our honesty. This is where we are. This is how, and again, we get hit from the left because people think, well, you're just, you're just trying to hold women down. We get hit from the right because, one, oh my gosh. I mean, it, it, back in March, I, I, had a, I had a woman of God come and talk about re- the redemption of sexuality, blessed our women, and I mean, we took torpedoes from people who just thought, I, I don't know what that, I guess they thought I denied the Trinity or something. Like there's some huge measure of orthodox that had been violated. We believe, 1 Timothy 2, that there's a prohibition there. We also believe the rest of the New Testament where our sisters in Christ are free to exercise their gifts within the body. And what we're trying to do here is be obedient to all of it. And that covenant, this is the way we believe that that is best done. Now, why is this important? And then we'll be done today, okay? Number one, because leaders don't replicate what they teach. They replicate who they are. That's just a fundamental I mean, self-evident fact of, of leadership. And eventually, the ripple effect is unstoppable. So if there's sin that's unrepentant, unrepentant. again, I mean, we're, not, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about, okay, I got some things I got to work on here. It, that's going to get replicated. Misogyny gets replicated. Liberal theology gets replicated. Sin, addiction gets Replicated. Throughout the staff, throughout our deacons, throughout until eventually, it just infects the whole body. That's why it's important. Here's the second reason. You collectively are the bride of Christ. Every time I've ever had the honor of speaking at the ordination service for a new pastor, and usually that young man will be about the age I was when I I was ordained, 26 years old. And I will look at him. And say, after this examination, after this formal affair in which the body comes and affirms your gifts, you, sir, now have the responsibility for the bride of Christ. Jesus is trusting you with his wife. And you will answer to him one day for how you treated her. Did you tell her the truth? Did you act with her best interests always at heart? Did you seek her flourishing above everything else? You read some of Paul's letters, even as an apostle, what he says to Philippi in particular, you are my joy and crown. I'm not looking for streets of gold. I'm looking for you to be who God wants you to be and to get to heaven so that we see each other. That is the heart of anybody called to pastor. And next week, we're going to talk about the difference it makes. You get qualified men playing the kind of role that we're going to describe next week. That's how you end up with a Martin Luther King Jr. That's how you end up with a a William Wilberforce. That's how you end up with a Clara Swain or a a Clara Barton or a Lottie Moon. This This is how you change the world. It's not me doing it. It's me investing spiritually in those who will do it. Remember, we're about domain engagement here. The entire church is the missionary. You work on the grid of society wherever you work, science and technology, civil society and government, health care, education, whatever it is, and you are bringing glimpses of the kingdom of God. And my job is not to bring those glimpses for you. It is to empower you to do it. Monday morning, that's where it happens. When you clock in, when you report to the office, that's what it's supposed to look like. The body of Christ There would have never been a William Wilberforce if it hadn't been for a Pastor John Newton. And and here's the thing. I believe with all my heart there are other guys in this room right now who two years from now you will be pastors here if you're obedient. If you're obedient. If you don't turn away because, well, I don't really have time. You don't have time for the bride of Christ. Okay, we'll leave that between you and Jesus. I'll love you. I'll always treat you the same. Whatever. I I think it's going to happen. I think God's going to awaken that in, in some of you because you come to understand this isn't about some function or being under a spotlight or having a microphone. This is about shepherding people's souls well so that they can change the world. So church body, let's be in prayer about this. You're like, what? What's going on? Well, nothing except time is passing. I sat in a room with guys several months ago, and well, I talked about this series, and I got their approval, like I do all the time, for what's coming next in the series. And and they said, you want to call out some more guys? I mean, there's already nine of us here. And I said, yeah, because I'm 50 years old, and I'm the youngest guy in the room. Who's going to lead tomorrow? Who's going to lead next year? Who's going to lead in the next decade? What's this going to look like? Let's choose carefully. Let's pray carefully and let us choose and raise up those who will lead us into a glorious and Christ-centered and God-glorifying future. If you have questions about that, Pastor Joel at covenant or just go to our website and hit connect and just very, it'll be, all it'll be confidential. I just want to talk to Pastor Joel about being a pastor what that what that's about i promise you i will not sell you a timeshare it's not high pressure last thing in the world i want to do is be high proud i want i want the lord to be we got a group of men you may want to join with it's called the covenant pastoral residency it starts up in just about a month from now and and i'm not i'm not making promises to them that they're going to be pastors there's no expectation that they're ever going to feel from me that they have to go into a certain role we're going to invest in faithful men the way the new testament tells us to and then we're going to watch god call them out and raise them up to where he wants them to be but i think we should pray for those people now don't you I really do. I really do. So let's do it. Let's do it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of leadership. We pray that in a, this environment of suspicion, that you would allow us correct discernment. Because, Lord, there's nothing in your word that tells us to just blindly follow anyone because they hold a position. Quite the opposite. You tell us to examine the character. You tell us to get deep into the personal life, into the metaphorical underwear drawer of life. And Father, I just I pray for the men who, who shepherd alongside of me now that you would continue to reform and, and sanctify us, bring us to repentance in places where we might need it, Lord. And may that process begin today. I pray for those who are out in this congregation who may feel that sense of calling that this is what God has called me to to do, I think, in that they begin that explorative process. But most of all, Lord, we pray for your bride that is gathered in front of me right now, how beautiful she is, how much more beautiful she will be. And Lord, it it puts a lump in our throat and also helps our heart skips a beat. We feel both anxiety and hope when we consider both our responsibility to help get her there and, and the end that you have promised if we will be faithful. And so, Father... Bless your church, not because we deserve it, but because you deserve all of the praise and all of the glory. And I make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.